the last words of David. Chapter 23, verse 1, David says this, The oracle of David's son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who raised up, the man raised up as the ruler chosen by God of Jacob, Israel's beloved singer of songs. Yahweh's spirit spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. And the God of Israel spoke. The protector of Israel spoke to me. The one who rules fairly among men, the one who rules in the fear of Yahweh, or God, is like the light of the morning when the sun comes up. So he says, the one who rules fairly, justly, is like the light of God, the morning sun. Now, the idea here is that the morning sun here, is the morning light, is that when the sun dawns, it comes up and dries away all the darkness. He's saying that just like the dawn comes and dries all the darkness away and brings new light and new hope and new life, so is the king who rules justly. He is said, basically, a just king is like the sun in the same way. It can illuminate the darkness and drive it away. It can bring life to men and women in need. It can bring an abundance of life to a nation like the sun does to plants and flowers and our skin, now that we're going to summer. <laughs> this is the just king. David has definitely not been a just king his entire reign. This one is one he probably really can't claim. But what David is acknowledging is that is what a just king is. And he probably is looking back at the times that he has been just and things have been well in the kingdom and the times that he was not just and everything fell into darkness and chaos. And he begins to realize that there is a difference. It is like the light of the morning when the sun comes up, a morning in which there are no clouds. He is like the brightness after rain that produces grass from the earth. My dynasty is approved by God, for he has made a perpetual covenant with me. Arranged in all of its particulars and secured, he always delivers me and brings me all I desire to fruition. But evil people like thorns all around them are tossed away, for they cannot be held in the hand. The one who touches them must use an iron instrument or wooden shaft of a spear. They are completely burned up right where they lie. The last thing that David says when he ends his life, so to speak, is, I get now what a righteous, just king really is. I get now why God wants us to be just rulers. I get the life that just rulers can bring to a nation, to a people group. Knows he doesn't say, though, and I've been that. He said he was blameless. He said he hadn't rejected the law of God. But he never said that he had been that just ruler. What he says instead is, and God has made a covenant with me. All other non-just rulers are brought down. But I'm still here because God made a covenant with me. And everybody who comes to threaten this covenant Everybody who comes to threaten my descendants are driven away and burned up by God. He is the one who protects my covenant. And this is powerful. Because remember, the true leader is the one who submits to the authority of the sovereign king over the universe. 
But the true leader is also the one that is able to execute justice. And that's a huge theme throughout the Bible. When we get to kings, justice is going to be huge to God. When we get to the prophets, he's going to rip Israel a new one for their lack of social justice. And when we get to Jesus, the whole point of why he's worthy to be king is because of his justice. Justice is huge to God. And so what David is saying is, I get that this is probably one of the greatest things that a king should pursue, that a leader should pursue, that the head of anything should pursue, is being just. Because being just is like the sun to nature. And the only reason I'm still here is because God's character, God's promises, and God is protecting his covenant with me. And those are David's last words. God is good and what he desires is true. And the only reason I'm not, I, you know, I am here when I have not been that is because of God's gracious character. Because the law should have justly grinded me to the ground. But the promises of God are allowing me to last forever. And that's important because this is not an accident that David's idea, his last words match up with the total purpose of the author, but it's also not an accident that it's leading us right into the book of Kings. And when we get to the book of Kings, you're going to see Israel split into two factions. It's going to be the kingdom of the north called Israel, the ten tribes in the north. And it's going to be the kingdom of the south and called Judah. And the kings of the north are going to sin, 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 and even reject God and his laws. The people of the south, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to sin, 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 and rebel against God and reject the laws of God. And every single king in the north will be wiped out and grounded into the ground by Yahweh. But the kings of the south will be allowed to keep going and going and going. And the family will never be brought to an end. Why? Because God made a promise to David. And David ends his life and says, I should have been grounded the dirt. And maybe there's a little wisdom as he's seen one rebellious son, another rebellious son, and he's about ready to see another rebellious son and realizing the only reason we're going to survive as a family and Saul didn't is because God made a promise. And maybe it's after the Gibeonites as well. They've seen Saul's house been brought down. He has seen Saul's descendants wiped out for their sins. And there's very few descendants left except for Mephibosheth. And meanwhile, he's done just as bad, if not worse, things than Saul. And his house has not been wiped out completely because God made a promise. And David looks at his life and says, what God desires is just kings and that is good. And when you are not that, the only reason I'm here is because of God's grace. And that's law and grace coming together. Because what he hasn't said is, well, because of the grace of God, then may I sin all the more. So the grace can abound even more. Romans. He doesn't say, wow, God didn't really take justice seriously, huh? I wasn't that, and he didn't really care because I'm still here. He didn't like rationalize and say, oh, you media people are wrong. I'm actually the most just king that you've ever seen. He never said that. He basically has said the law is good. And I have violated it. I've broken it. But I believe the law is good and the law is necessary. 
But at the same time, the grace of God is good. And I've needed that as well. And those are his final words. He is acknowledging both the justice and the grace of God. And that's important because as we get into Kings, it's going to wrestle. We've already seen God's justice and mercy. How do you keep those together when you're dealing with the golden calf? But at the same time, we're going to see that again when we get the kings. And the prophets are really going to wrestle with God's justice and mercy. How did those go together? And David's laying the foundation while the author is arranging David's life to lay the foundation for the next book. So those are David's final words. So another story of great warriors. Chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of David's warriors. Jasheb. Bashashabeth, Takigamite, was the head of the officers. He killed 800 men with his spear in battle. And next in command was Eleazar, son of Dodo, the son of Ahio, or Haiah. He was one of the three warriors who were with David when he defied the Philistines who were assembled there for battle. And when the men of Israel retreated, he stood his ground and fought the Philistines until his hand grew so tired that it seemed to stuck to his sword. Yahweh gave a great victory on that day, and when the army returned to him, the only thing left to do was to plunder the corpses. This is interesting because once again we have warriors that are becoming weak. They're wearing out, and their flesh is weak, and they are so tired, it's almost like they can't do anything anymore. Yet, they are so faithful to God that God is rewarding that with the ability to persevere. And this is the idea that God keeps communicating. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. And if you trust in God, yes, it may be uncomfortable. God never promised a comfortable, happy-go-lucky life. There may be pain involved. There may be trials. It may be difficult. You may feel giving up, but God will give you the strength to keep going. He'll give you the strength to keep going. Verse 11, next in command was Shammah, son of Agi, the Herite. And when the Philistines assembled at Lehi, where there happened to be an area of a field that was full of lentils, the army retreated before the Philistines. But he made a stand in the middle of that area, and he defended it, and he defeated the Philistines, and Yahweh gave him a great victory. Verse 13, At that time of the harvest, three of the thirty leaders went down to David at the cave of Adullam, and a band of Philistines was camped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was in the stronghold at that time, while a Philistine garrison was in Bethlehem. And David was thirsty, and said, How I wish someone would give me some water to drink from the cistern of Bethlehem near the gate. So the men, the, the three, so the three elite warriors broke through the Philistine forces, drew some water from the cistern of Bethlehem near the gate, and they carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it, and he poured it out as a drink offering to Yahweh. And he said, O Yahweh, I will do this. I will not do this. It is equivalent to the blood of men who risked their lives by going. So he refused to drink it, and such were the exploits of the three elite warriors. That is absolutely (laughs) stupid, but incredibly brave and loyal. I mean, seriously, you did that just for a drink of water? You do, like, the Philistines were warriors. But what it shows is they are so loyal to David. We haven't seen anybody in Scripture, really, that has inspired that loyalty. I mean, yes, Joshua is great, and we saw loyalty to him, but his lo- the men's loyalty to Joshua has never been described like this. 
And in Moses' own words, they were never loyal to him like this. <laughs> There's, there was something about David that inspired stupid loyalty. <laughs> And I guess that's not the right way. It is. Loyalty that can lead to doing stupid things because they're so devoted to him. And they broke through. But what is so amazing is that David could say, wow, aren't I awesome? These guys think I'm that great? I mean, that's what we do when celebrities become famous and thousands of people in the stadium are celebrating and worshiping them like the Beatles or Rihanna or Lady Gaga and they're just worshiping and they walk away and they're just, they get these big heads and they become arrogant. Jay-Z is being worshiped by all these people and he becomes so arrogant and he comes out with a song called I Am God. David could very easily do that. We know he has a pride issue. But instead, he realized that this is all because of Yahweh. And one of the offerings that God required was a libation offering, typically blood, but it could also be water because water was incredibly valuable in the ancient world. And to pour it out as a way of giving it to God. And he's saying, I'm acknowledging that all these victories, the loyalty of my men, whatever they see in me, whatever has inspired this, is all because you have given it to me, Yahweh. And I am not worthy to drink this drink because this drink was offered to me only because of what I have and only because of what I have has come from God. That's huge. That's huge. To do that with your skills and your talents and when people praise you. I had this professor at seminary. His name was Howard Hendricks. Some of you might know him. But he always called it afterwards when everybody tells you you did a great job, he called it the glorification of the worm. Because then the prophets were called worms. And that, that's, that's what we're called when we're sinful and rebellious and arrogant and prideful. You can either humbly surrender and point to God, like David has and other people in the Bible, or Abraham. No, I'm not going to take your wealth, king of Sodom, because I don't want you to say, you've made me great. I want Yahweh to get all the credit. Or you can take all the glory in and say, yep, that's right. I worked really hard for this. But that's what David acknowledges. Verse 18, Abishai, the son of Zariah, the brother of Joab, was head of the three. He killed 300 men with his spear and gained fame among the three. And from there, the from, and from the three, he was given honor and he became their officer. And even though he was not one of the three. So we don't know if he killed that many people all at one time or over a period of time. But still, no matter what, that's amazing. Benaiah, son of Jehoiad, was a brave warrior from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab, and he also went down and killed a lion in the cistern on a snowy day. Killing a lion is amazing enough. Going down inside of a cistern with a lion is another thing when it's all covered and filled with snow. Like, seriously. This is like when I was a kid, we walked uphill three miles in the snow every single day, both there and back. Okay, but that's what he did. He jumped into a hole with a lion filled with snow and he killed him with his bare hands because Yahweh was with him. He also killed an impressive looking Egyptian. Yeah, huge man. The Egyptian wielded a spear. He grabbed the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. That's like Hollywood fight scenes right there. 
Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiad, who gained fame from among the three elite warriors, and he received honor from the thirty warriors, though he was not one of the three elite warriors. David put him in charge of his bodyguard. What's the point of this? But he wasn't a part of the three elite. The three elite are pretty amazing. But the people who are not in the three elite, they're pretty amazing too. Now he goes on and just lists all the warriors. The other 30 warriors in addition to the three elite. And the idea is that God was working in these guys' hearts. God is working. God brought these men. We don't, we don't find such warriors surrounding Saul. We're not going to find these warriors surrounding future kings to come. But because David was a man after God's own heart, God brought the best into his life. And he built a dream team for David. But a dream team that got that it was really God. And David has this dream team and still is humble enough to say, but it's all God. It's all God. This is who David is.